The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. in New York, and here's your top five at five. Will a good start to August roll on? Futures fighting for momentum as the recession debate heats up. And with the slowdown, Fed in focus once again, but for a different reason. Our one central bank chief is saying don't hold your breath for rate cuts anytime soon. China's saber-rattling, kicking off large-scale military drills at around Taiwan after Nancy Pelosi's shocking trip. Walmart cutting jobs, rolling out layoffs just days after it warned about the economy. And not for sale. Robinhood CEO downplaying prospects and troubled brokerage is up for grabs. It's all happening on this Thursday, August 4th. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Good to be back with you. I am Brian Sullivan, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's jump right into it and get right now to these uh, Thursday morning markets to see where stock futures are. And they are indicating, well, not a whole lot. We're seeing Dow futures down a whopping 16. Fair value on the S&P is higher right now. Let's call this whole thing unchanged, shall we? It's early. This, though, after a nice start to the month of August for all the major market averages, they were higher. Yesterday, the Dow and S&P jumping more than 1%, and NASDAQ rising about 2.5%. Stocks going up, even as bonds also going up, and yields are coming down, all on worries about an economic slowdown. Yields right now at 2.74%. The bond and stock markets increasingly seem to be telling pretty different stories. We'll dive into that in just a second. Speaking of oil, OPEC is in focus. Crude oil at its lowest level since February. In fact, it is close to breaking below 90 bucks a barrel. Slowing gasoline demand in the U.S. and continued COVID issues in China, the main reason that oil has been weak lately. But overall, oil markets do seem to remain tight. One senior OPEC official telling us yesterday that spare capacity for many member nations is no smokescreen and a very real issue Due to chronic underinvestment yesterday, OPEC, of course, raising output by only by a meager 100,000 barrels per day. Not much at all. And in the crypto world, we are seeing cryptos declining across the board right now. Bitcoin and Ether, they're all lower. Uh, Bitcoin, in fact, at about 22,814. So that 23,000 mark continues to be kind of a sticking point for Bitcoin. All the major averages are down. By the way, a lot of hacking news out of crypto lately. We'll get to more on that in just a couple of minutes. But for now, let's go around the world, see what's happening in our European trade and get some key headlines there, along with more from one key central bank as well. Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with that and more. Good morning, Juliana. 
Hey, Brian, good morning. Well, European equities are following the U.S. lead yesterday. We've got the majority of markets trading higher, led by Germany. We're up nearly eight-tenths of a percent for the Zetra DAX. CAC 40 in France trading about 0.4 percent higher. We are seeing a little bit of underperformance in the U.K. market. FTSE 100 trading down by about 0.3 percent. A number of corporate earnings taking focus today. A big mover, German retailer Zalando. Shares are up about 9 percent in that stock. But why is the FTSE 100? trading lower? Well, part of the reason could be because sterling is trading higher versus the dollar this morning. This as the Bank of England takes focus. The central bank is set to raise rates for the sixth time in a row today. Money markets have priced in a more than 90 percent chance of a 50 basis point rate hike this afternoon, which would be the bank's largest rate increase for more than 25 years. Brian, much like you're seeing stateside, the Bank of England is grappling with inflationary pressures and soaring inflation at a a headline and a core level. So all eyes today on Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey and the committee. That meeting is taking place this afternoon. Inflation does seem to be a global phenomenon. Juliana Tadabam, thank you very much. All right, now some of this morning's top stories stateside, including Walmart becoming the latest big company to tighten its belt as economic worries grow. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Brian. Uh, Walmart confirming it has begun to lay off corporate employees. The retail giant not saying exactly how many workers will be impacted and from what divisions. But in a statement to CNBC, the company described the layoffs as a way to, quote, better position the company for a strong future, unquote. The news comes about a week after Walmart slashed its profit outlook and warned that consumers had pulled back on discretionary spending due to inflation. SoftBank has reportedly raised as much as $22 billion in cash through deals that sharply reduce its stake in Alibaba. According to the Financial Times, this year, the Japanese conglomerate has sold about a third of its Alibaba stake through prepaid forward contracts. Contracts allow SoftBank to raise cash immediately while retaining the possibility of holding onto Alibaba shares. The FT points out that SoftBank has previously raised funds using Alibaba shares, including uh, these type of contracts. And Richard Clarida has a new gig. The former Federal Reserve vice chair is returning to PIMCO, where he will serve as the global economic advisor and managing director. Before joining the Fed in 2008, he worked at PIMCO for more than a decade. Clarida abruptly resigned from his Fed post earlier this year after being embroiled in a trading scandal. He was later cleared of any wrongdoing. Brian? If only he was a member of Congress, it wouldn't have been an issue. Bertha Coombs, thank you. <laughs> All right, speaking of the Federal Reserve, the markets continue to be laser-focused on the flurry of central bank speakers and the big question of when they will stop raising rates and may even start to cut borrowing costs. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari throwing his two cents on the matter Wednesday. Kashkari saying while it is not impossible the central bank could start cutting rates next year, it is a very unlikely scenario right now, given that inflation is nowhere near the Fed's 2% target. Let's dive into all of this and more on the markets and your money with Dana Doria, co-chief investment officer at InvestNet. Dana, welcome back. I mean, every day we get like two or three Fed speakers at this point. feels like just kind of throw a dart. Uh, 
the bond and stock market seem to be telling very different stories about the future of the economy and maybe corporate earnings. Which one are you more aligned with? I think at this stage of the game, I, I would pay attention to what Kashkari is saying. I actually thought that the reaction to the FOMC comments when they did raise rates um, was a little overdone. I, I thought the assumption that we were going to, you know, be backing off in any way on rate hikes, you know, that, okay, perhaps it's not 75 basis points, it becomes 50. But the notion that we're going to uh, trail off and, and start cutting rates in 2023, early 2023, was just not likely. Because look at where inflation is. We still have a very negative real Fed funds rate. And the, the you know, you look at what's happening demographically, lower income families are, are really suffering. I think the Fed has to stay focused. I, I don't think that much has changed. I think we're just getting clarifications. Yeah, but I guess the pace of rate hikes and inflation are going to be very different because they take so much time to work through, right? It's like nine to 12 months or whatever that time may be from when you raise rates to when it really starts to impact the economy. So I'm assuming we're going to have to stop getting rate increases well before we actually hit inflation targets, no? Yeah, it's not the, absolutely right. If, if you're out there sort of saying, okay, well, we're just going to keep raising rates and um, you know, at some point they just connect, 100%. This is going to act with a lag. It's going to continue to act with a lag. But it, it's just too far apart right now for the Fed to consider anything close to cutting rates um, or even tapering that much. I, you know, yes, we're, the, the consensus now is it's not 75 next time. It's more like 50 or 25. I think we keep watching inflation measures. The other thing that empowers the Fed to keep uh, obviously increasing rates is the fact that the job market still remains strong. Right. We still have excess jobs more jobs in the economy than people looking. So I, I think the Fed is sort of empowered to continue to do this, notwithstanding the talk of recession. The comments, the dovish comments are, are yes, we're still paying attention to growth and markets, but inflation is going to be more the focus. Yeah, and just wonder, unless the Fed can, you know, pump more oil, fix supply chains, or figure out a way to get people back to work, that I, I'm not sure what exactly they can do. Let's go back to the equity markets, though, Dana, because the stock market's been very strong the last couple of weeks. Yeah. The number of Google searches for is this a market bottom has got to be off the charts, but it still feels like a shaky market. What is your view on equities right now? So I wouldn't call a market bottom, and it's infamously difficult to do that anyway, right? My 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 um, conjecture to you would be that we're probably not at a market bottom yet. I think we've seen a bit of a relief rally lately uh, based on just tech earnings coming in better maybe than we thought they would. Not great, but better than we thought they would. Um, you know, and these this interpretation of the Fed's comments being, you know, a bit dovish, at least up to now. Um, but in terms of how you invest, it doesn't necessarily change how the, the average person should be approaching markets. Right. If you're thinking in terms of the short term, I think you're looking at higher quality companies. Um, lower volatility companies, these are the standard defensive postures. We've seen uh, long-only quality underperform a bit, but long-short quality is actually performing kind of how we would expect it to. And what that tells you is getting rid of those higher, uh, or excuse me, the lowest quality stocks out of your portfolio has done what you'd expect during the course of this year. The really low quality stocks aren't performing as well. I would say if, if you're a long-term investor, you might still consider this a buying opportunity as long as you're diversified in higher risk areas like emerging markets and small caps. Um, you know, don't buy individual companies because in a, in a market downturn, in a recession, they're really more under stress than they would be. 
but a diversified yeah. portfolio buying in now uh, could benefit you greatly in the long run. Does feel like there might be another downswing coming. We shall see, though. Dana Doria of Investet. Appreciate you getting up early, Dana. Thank you for joining Worldwide Exchange. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You too. All right. We are just getting started on this Thursday. And when WEX rolls on after the break, some of your morning's big money movers and concerning outlook from EV maker Lucid. What are they saying? Look at that stock down 12%. Ouch. Plus, the CEO of cybersecurity firm Zero Fox and a first on CNBC interview on the growing global threat from hackers and why Russia may be behind most of it. Later, why we could be learning a lot more about Elon Musk's lawsuit to get out of that $44 billion Twitter takeover. All that, Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. All right, welcome back and good Thursday morning. Let's now talk about some big headlines in cybersecurity because there have been a bunch lately. First up, in the last day and a half, hackers have been able to steal and target an estimated $2.5 million in crypto assets from the Solana ecosystem. That has impacted about 79,000 or 7,900 wallets and users. The news setting the price of the crypto coin down more than 11% this week. That is not all. Hackers able to drain almost 200 million bucks in cryptocurrency from Nomad. That is a tool that lets users swap tokens from one blockchain to another. It is not clear how that attack was orchestrated or, more importantly, if the people who got their money stolen are going to get it back. Also happening overnight, Taiwan's defense ministry says its website suffered an attack that caused it to go offline temporarily. This follows similar attacks earlier this week on several Taiwanese government websites. Authorities blaming these latest strikes on China and Russia. So let's talk more about the critical issue of cybersecurity. Joining us now in a first on CBC interview is Zero Fox, Chairman and CEO James Foster. He goes by Foster. And Zero Fox going public today via a SPAC deal on the NYC under the ticker ZFOX. Uh, Foster, it's good to have you on the program. You and I got a little bit of chance to catch up by phone yesterday. I mean, we could have spent an hour talking about all the recent headlines, hackers, etc. Why does it feel like hack attacks are ramping up? And what is your company doing to try to help companies stop them? Good morning, Brian. Yeah, we're really excited to be here. It's a big day for Zero Fox. Um, it feels like there's cyber attacks happening all the time because they are. Uh, it's one of the largest breach response providers here in the world. We've helped thousands of companies already this year with uh, attacks that you're seeing. I and mean, some of the attacks you just talked about. China and Russia can attack government organizations, websites uh, with impunity today. It's very hard to go back against them. 
It's very hard to understand real attribution of who did it. And international law really hasn't put in place um, the norms yet on what to do when you are attacked around the world. It's, uh, it's a tough place to be in. You know, it feels like a few years ago, it was like denial of service attacks. Let's make somebody's website not work. Let's basically irritate them, cause them some problems. Now, Foster, it just seems like a straight up old money grab. I mean, almost every hack we talk about is either a direct theft of money or something where they threaten to do something if you don't pay them money. Has this become more almost Sopranos-like than just some, you know, some cyber guys who just wanted to cause some company an annoyance? Well, I mean, Sopranos is a great show. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's <laughs> two real reasons, right? I mean, fame and fortune. A lot of the attacks, if you look back over the last 20 years, have either been in search of fame or fortune. And fortune comes in multiple different ways, right? If you're China, one of the fortunes that you're after is intellectual property, targeting organizations, taking that intellectual property, using it for competitive advantage. The other types of fortune to go after is, like you said, cash, right? Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrencies, these new digital assets, they have tremendous value. Of course, it could be speculative, but it's harder to, to get back. And so if I steal a digital asset and sell it on a black market somewhere, um, it, it's it's like the wild, wild west. It's, it's just Good old gunslinging, grabbing in, and, and uh, selling quickly. And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Again, the, uh, the cyber apparatuses of the world, if you think about it, they really are still in their infancy. Countries like China and Russia, the big two that everybody talks about, are, are really sophisticated. But there's dozens of other countries that are investing in their cyber warfare capabilities every single day. And they're targeting all kinds of organizations, big government organizations, all the way down to Main Street. I tell that... That Zero Fox protects everybody from Main Street to Mars yeah. and, uh, and the space companies. Um, everybody's getting attacked. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Colonial Pipeline, you know, getting shut down the most important pipeline in the United States. And that was attributed to Russian hackers. We talk a lot about energy security, Foster, in this country, about the security, not just of the physical you know, plants, LNG facilities, whatever, but their cyber, you know, their cyber capabilities as well, what's your best advice? And don't say hire zero fox, I know, but what's your best advice you just for any CTO or CEO <laughs> CEO watching right now who may or may not be investing enough money in what could shut literally shut down their company because a couple of guys in a crappy office building in, outside of Moscow? Well, look, you brought up energy security. I mean, one of the tactics now and economic warfare is to leverage your cyber weapons. For example, if you're Russia and you make a tremendous amount of your money through selling energy, um, one of the things that you can do is disrupt other energy providers around the world, disrupt their supply chain, creating uh, increases in costs. And when those costs go up, Russia makes more money. And they can use that money to fund things like war machines. And so it is a really interesting new tactic now to inflect economic warfare in not only regions of the world, but entire energy sectors. Like you said, energy security now is entangled in cybersecurity. And uh, look, at the boardroom, you have to make sure cybersecurity is a topic. You've got to make sure that you've got programs and yep. the right resources applied to it because it's, it's a big deal and it's here to stay. 
James Foster, CEO Zero Fox, congratulations on the SPAC. We haven't talked about those for a bit in a while. Good luck today, ZFOX, the ticker. Foster, have a great day. Take care. Brian, thanks a lot. Good morning. Everybody. Right on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. You're very welcome. All right, your morning's big money movers, including supply constraints and costs, taking a bite out of the bottom line for one big automaker. Whose chart is that? We'll show you. And then the CEO of Novo Nordisk in a first on CNBC interview. We're going to talk about the world's growing obesity and diabetes crisis and what they are doing to try to fight it. Stick around. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a realtor can help answer. Because realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. And good Thursday morning. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Let's go. Stock number one is eBay. Shares are up 4% after earnings topped some forecasts. eBay's been trying to sell more luxury goods to keep sales up. Now, eBay is backing its full-year sales outlook, although it did lower its guidance for what they call gross merchandise value, being what's being sold on its website. Stock number two, this is Artees. Toyota, profit falling more than 40% in the first quarter, and that is worse than analysts expected. They were hit by supply issues and rising costs. Toyota has repeatedly cut monthly production targets due to the global semiconductor shortage and COVID restrictions on plants in China. Speaking of cars, stock three is Lucid Motors, and shares are tanking, down more than 12% right now. The high-end EV maker is cutting production forecasts for this year in half. They are citing, what else, supply chain problems. Lucid now expects to make between six and 7,000 cars this year, down from the previous target of 12 to 14,000. Lucid stock down 12.5%. All right, still on deck. Your morning RBI and the staggering rise in diabetes both here at home and abroad. Stats on what you've got here is being called a silent epidemic that is impacting millions of people, including kids, every year. Plus, the CEO of Novo Nordisk will join us talk about what they're doing to fight it. And just a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. We know you can't catch a show live every morning. It's early. We get it. So download the podcast today. Dow Futures up a whopping nine. We're back after this. Why are the stock and bond markets seemingly telling very different stories about the path of the American economy? Schwab's Jeff Kleintop is here with what he's seeing the key things to watch right now. Taiwan tensions rising. China carrying out military exercises after Nancy Pelosi's shocking visit. Eunice Yoon is in Beijing with more on the tense situation overseas. And not for sale. 
Robinhood CEO downplaying that his company may be a potential takeover target. It's all happening on this Thursday, August 4th. This is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome and welcome back, everybody, and good Thursday morning. It's going to be another hot one in New York. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Here's how the markets and your money stand right now after what was a pretty solid first trading day of the month, and uh, or one of the first trading days of the month, whatever it is. The point is the market's not looking like they're going to carry through that gain today. Dow futures are up 18 points right now. Still, they're in the green, so they're not soaring, but they are in the green as well. NASDAQ futures higher as well. All this after what has been a very good, how should we say, couple of weeks for the equity markets. Hey, when you're off, sometimes this is what happens. We'll get more on the markets in your money with Schwab's Jeff Kleintop in just a moment. But right now to some of this morning's top headlines, including Robinhood, CEO saying his company is not up for grabs. Bertha Coombs is back with that and more. Bertha. Hey, Brian. Yep, that's right. Robin Hood CEO offering a rather blunt take on whether his company is looking to be acquired. Speaking during an investor call Wednesday, Vlad Tenov responding to a question on the matter saying, in a word, no. Tenov did say that Robin Hood was on the lookout for potential acquisitions of its own. Meantime, Robinhood revealing that it has been under investigation by the SEC. The company saying in a regulatory filing that the agency has been looking at its compliance with short selling rules since last year. Eli Lilly, meantime, announcing it plans to begin commercial sales of its COVID antibody drug to states as well as hospitals and other healthcare providers later this month. Previously, Lilly sold all of its doses of the drug for use in the USA or in the US rather via contracts with the federal government. The company says the government is set to exhaust its supply of the treatment as early as the week of August 22nd. Eli Lilly's CEO We'll have more on this and the company's earnings when he joins CNBC exclusively at 7.10 a.m. Eastern this morning. And the Elon Musk Twitter saga set to take a new turn. A judge ruling Wednesday that Musk's answer to Twitter's lawsuit over his attempt to back out of a $44 billion deal to buy the social media company will be made public by tomorrow evening. Musk lawyers had wanted to file a public version of their answer and counterclaims by yesterday, but they were sealed. Brian, Twitter's attorneys had complained that they needed more time to review and potentially redact Musk's filing, arguing it features internal Twitter information and data that they had given to Musk. You know, this thing just, whenever it's Elon Musk, it cannot avoid drama. You kind of wonder how the guy does it all, though. I mean, with everything he has done, the boring company, SpaceX, obviously this little company called Tesla, you might have heard about this thing. Uh, you know, the, the Starlink, yeah. Neuropath, what, how, how, and he's got like I nine I can't imagine kids. he sleeps he very much. It? I think he probably I can't doesn't imagine sleep we much. sleep very That's, much. That has to be it. Bertha, do we <laughs> <Yeah>. sleep? <laughs> I do on occasion. I catch up on so the we weekends. Have, yeah, we, yeah, it's like you put it all in the sleep bank and then you drain it all during the week. I feel you. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right, now to a developing situation around Taiwan. China beginning a series of military exercises in the water around the island. Those exercises coming just one day after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wrapped her visit to Taiwan, prompting widespread condemnation from Beijing. 
Yunishun is in Beijing with the very latest on what the Chinese government and the media is saying and what is likely to happen from here. Yunus. Thanks, Brian. Well, this exercise is a major escalation from previous Chinese actions in other crises in the Taiwan Straits, mainly because of the extensive nature and scale. The air and water drills are taking place in six zones that surround Taiwan. They are going to be the closest ever to the island, uh, 10 miles from the island south. And this is also going to be the first time where this, ex- this type of exercise is going to include the sensitive east of the island. Now, state media has been uh, describing this as an unprecedented war game, saying that they're showing off this time long-range live-fire drills, precision strikes in the eastern part of the waterway, and that they'll be able to show the PLA's ability to control all exits. Now, Taiwan officials have been already warning that these exercises will encroach on Taiwan's territorial waters. Uh, They say that this is an effective blockade. Uh, Taiwan officials have also said that they've already warned off what they believe are suspected drones, or at least flying objects um, above a controlled island for Taiwan. Uh, The uh, authorities on the island have also been warning their companies to boost their cybersecurity in the coming days after a, a, a record number of uh, hack attacks on government websites. Now, we don't know um, exactly what's next to come. The exercises themselves end on Sunday. But uh, one interesting point here, Brian, is that the state media has now been kind of presenting this idea that these types of exercises could become much more normal. Uh, The state media said that these drills are a new beginning for the Taiwan Strait. Now, Eunice, we understand, obviously, that China does not recognize Taiwan as a nation. We get that. So how do they refer to Taiwan in the media? What is it referenced as? And how do they reference Nancy Pelosi's trip there as an invasion? What's the what's the terminology they're using? Well, they've been calling it a political provocation, and uh, they believe that her visit uh, was meant to kind of stir up what they believe are separatist forces in Taiwan who want to see independence, but from China's perspective are just a tiny minority, and that her visit there was meant to embolden them for the U.S.'s own purposes. And in fact, um, in terms of the way that they view Taiwan, they always say that Taiwan is part of China and that eventually they will be able to, uh, they would say, reunify uh, Taiwan to uh, China as opposed to what Others say just unify, perhaps, because from Taiwan's perspective, they've never been part of China. Yeah, and we're going on, what, 80, effectively almost 80 years now. Eunice, uh, you wonder, does it come to a head now or do they continue the, the, the sort of odd pseudo relationship that they have? What are you hearing? Well, I mean, at this point, it's really difficult to say because uh, the tensions are so high. And you do see that on the one hand, China wants to show that it is um, very strong, that it's the tough one here. And it doesn't want to signal to other lawmakers that or to anyone else uh, from the West or outside of China that that they might be able to 
come to Taiwan and embolden the people there for yeah. some type of independence. So, um, you know, so 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 it's really difficult to say um, at this point. Scary situation there. Unisum, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning RBI and the alarming stats of the rise of diabetes here and around the world. And this is first on CNBC conversation with the CEO of Novo Nordisk about how they are trying to fight it and obesity. That's next. All right, time now for your morning RBI. And today let's get random on something that is not just interesting, but it is also important and scary. That is the rise in diabetes in America and around the world. According to the CDC, more than 37 million Americans likely now have diabetes. That is more than one out of every 10 people. That includes young kids. CDC also notes that nearly 100 million Americans have some form of pre-diabetes. That is nearly a third of the country. The crisis has only grown worse in the past 20 years, with the number of diagnosed cases doubling in just two decades. Think about that. Most of this is coming from type 2 diabetes, which the CDC says is about 90 to 95% of all cases in America. About 5 to 10% suffer from type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune reaction. Type 2 is different. It's a blood sugar issue. And health officials say it is largely linked to lifestyle and to diet. As obesity in America has surged, diabetes cases have also risen. It is a medical crisis and a growing economic problem as well. The CDC reports that not only is diabetes the seventh leading cause of death in America, but medical costs and lost wages for people with diabetes is probably around $330 billion per year. That is a trillion dollars every three years. And this is not just an American issue. Globally, diabetes is also on the rise, with the International Diabetes Federation noting 537 million people around the world are likely now suffering from it with more than $900 billion spent every year treating it globally. And consider this. The World Economic Forum says diabetes is a, quote, silent epidemic that kills more than 4 million people every year. 4 million per year. Three times more than COVID. Think about that. Then think about if we treated diabetes or maybe many other dangerous diseases with the same urgency as we did the pandemic random and hopefully interesting. We didn't just bring you all those diabetes stats in the RBI for no reason. As the diabetes crisis grows, Novo Nordis is trying to help. They're a leading provider of both diabetes and obesity care. Their first half numbers came out Wednesday and they were big, with overall sales up 25% in Danish kroner terms and obesity care sales basically doubling. Company lifting its profit and sales guidance for the year, Stock, though, did fall because news about its anti-obesity drug, WeGovy, was not quite good enough. Lars Jorgensen is president and CEO of Nova Nordisk. They're based in Denmark, but they trade in the U.S. under the ticker NVO. And as I happen to know, have a very nice building just outside of Princeton, New Jersey, on Route 1. Lars, it's good to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Is there something that the market is missing in your numbers? Because the numbers, as we showed them, seem to be pretty big. Yeah, thanks, Brian, for having me. You're right. We showed really, really nice uh, growth numbers. So it's a second quarter in a row that we are upgrading uh, this uh, this year. So very, very strong underlying performance based on the stats you uh, you alluded to. You also uh, mentioned our big uh, presence in obesity, and uh, we have a very uh, 
efficacious product uh, now on the market in the U.S., uh, Wegovy, that we are ramping up. So we guided that uh, we have had some supply issues that we are now coming back with all those strengths available uh, towards the end of the year and not later than what the market had expected. And then we also guided that uh, a very important uh, you know, study uh, on cardiovascular safety and uh, benefit actually is reading out next year, and there's been some uh, speculations whether there could be an interim readout. For both topics, the supply uh, challenge and the, the readout on the, on the CV benefit, we feel very confident that we have a good grip on this, that we will be back with full supply, and we also feel that we will show a CV benefit when we have the full uh, trial readout. So we're actually very confident and very positive about the continued growth outlook for Norris, both in diabetes but also in obesity. You know, and, and we, as I was as I was writing and prepping that that RBI that you did, random but interesting segment just ahead of you, Lars, on this, we know that diabetes and obesity is a crisis here and around the world. But I honestly didn't realize just how big it was until I started diving into some of the stats for that segment. I mean, a hundred million Americans, one third of the nation, including children, may have some kind of pre-diabetes. One in ten with. Diabetes, most of that is type 2. A lot of that is lifestyle-related, not my opinion. That is the CDC and other medical experts. Um, what can Novo Nordisk do? What kind of treatments and drugs are, are available? How much more can we do on this fight? You're right that this is uh, an alarming trend. We see that every decade globally, we add another 100 million people living with diabetes. And you can say the same for obesity. So our physiology has not changed a lot over the past centuries, but the way we live and uh, we, you know, what we eat and our activity level has changed a lot. So it takes, you can say, prevention efforts, which is really, really difficult because changing personal uh, preferences and lifestyle is difficult. But, you know, there is a prevention agenda. But more importantly, it's about having efficacious medicines. And right now the growth we see in Nuova Nordisk is based on this GLP-1-based a portfolio of products that's both uh, launched to help people living uh, better with type 2 diabetes, but now also picking up significantly in the obesity uh, category. And you can say if we succeed in addressing obesity, we're actually mitigating to some degree type 2 diabetes because obesity is a leading cause of type 2 diabetes. So we think it's very meaningful that we make intervention with anti-obesity medicines because thereby we also address the diabetes uh, pandemic. What, is the, what does the drug do to treat obesity, Lars? How does it work? So it's, it's simplistically uh, explained. It reduces the appetite. So you have a feeling of being more full. So you simply end up taking less energy in, and that leads to a weight loss. We have in our development efforts uh, soon to start phase three program on a combination with another molecule that accelerates energy expenditure. So if you can both reduce energy intake and accelerate energy expenditure, we believe we can get to even higher weight loss than what we see with our latest uh, innovation. So it's really the anti-obesity market is really a new market, as you alluded to in your, in your opening, massive number, you know, more than 100 million Americans. That has been the case for long, uh -huh. but it's, it's first now we see really efficacious medicines. And I'm really proud that after more than 20 years of research and development efforts in this, we now have really efficacious, safe medicines that has seen a tremendous 
success and initial uptake in the U.S. market. So that holds well for our ability to actually prevent uh, type 2 diabetes yeah. that we deal with the underlying cause being obesity. L- Lars, this is a little bit a uh, separate topic, but I was just in Europe. I've been, I've been talking a lot for nearly a year now about Europe's growing energy crisis. I understand you're in Denmark. It's kind of a unique situation. You're not in Germany. You're not in the U.K. where they're having more serious issues. And you're not a manufacturer necessarily of like steel, but you are a manufacturer of pharmaceuticals. It's an energy intensive industry in its own way. How are you guys managing through some of the energy issues that are facing all of Europe right now? It's a really important point. You can say all of Europe somehow is impacted by the lower supply of natural gas coming from Russia. If you take Novo Nordisk, we have actually been on a green transmission uh, transformation for, for long. So already last year, we had all our global manufacturing operations running on green energy, so not relying on, on fossil fuel like natural gas. So if you take in Denmark, uh, our biggest, you know, really large site uh, producing majority of all uh, the, the world's uh, bulk insulin, that's actually running on green electricity and biogas. So we are relatively well protected as a company, but of course, we also have vendors, suppliers bringing important uh, products to us mm-hmm. that are relying on, on natural gas. So all of these companies are building redundancies and resilience and backup supply. Uh, so that's a big theme in Europe right now uh, to prepare for that for the winter. Yeah, what could be a, a long and difficult winter? We're hoping not, but certainly it's great to plan. Lars Jorgensen of Novo Nordisk. Lars, maybe I'll see you down there on Route 1 outside of Princeton one day. Thank you very much. All right, on deck, Jeff Kleintop is here with the key things to watch in the market right now and why some tough times may be ahead, but maybe not the kind that you might be thinking. How's that for a tease? We're showing you treasury yields. There they are. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. There was a lot in store for all you investors out there today. That begins with a great decision from the Bank of England at 7 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. Get the weekly jobless claims number at 8.30. Because today ends with a Y, we're going to get your daily Fed speaker. This time, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester at noon. Tesla holding its annual shareholder meeting tonight at 5.30. Interesting what Elon Musk and company might have to say about demand, supply chains, etc., and more earnings are on tap. Results out of Alibaba, Shake Shack, Beyond Meat, DoorDash, Lyft, and more all today. All right, bonds are boring. At least bonds are supposed to be boring, right? We just don't think about it. But right now, there are some moves happening in bonds that Schwab's Jeff Kleintop says are pretty interesting and maybe a little concerning. He recently took a look at Treasury data for the last 50 years. A couple of weeks ago, 48% of all yield curves, any kind of a bond maturity that you can think of, 48% were inverted. That's that blue lines. They go up. Those are recessionary periods for the most part when they spike. Well, that number is now at 50%, suggesting growing signals of a potential recession, but maybe not the kind you may be thinking. Jeff joins us now to explain, and Jeff, I'm, I'm looking at that graphic, and, I'm, and I, I saw your note, saw your tweet. It looks more like the EKG of a morning news anchor when the alarm goes off. What exactly are we looking at right here? So often when market forecasters look at the yield curve, 
they're often referring to one yield spread, like the difference between the two-year and 10-year yield. But what I like to do is look at all of them. There are 91 different yield spreads looking at the spread of every shorter maturity treasury to an active longer maturity treasury. So rather than just picking one yield spread, looking at the entire curve tells us a lot more about how the whole curve is inverted. Now, more than half of the yield curve, as you can see in the past, has inverted ahead of prior recessions. And as of this morning, we just crossed over 51% of the yield curves are now inverted. And when we get that, so normally we look at like two-year, 10-year, you know, and what do they joke around? Inverted yield curves have predicted 10 of the last seven or whatever recessions. They don't, they're not, there's no perfect indicator and this is not. But what is the fact that all of these maturities, half of those maturities across the entire thing, that they are inverted? Does that tell you that there is a recession coming or... Maybe there's, for lack of a better term, because it's early, just some funky stuff happening in the bond market, Jeff. Well, I think the, the high risk of an economic recession isn't new news to investors, right? I mean, we've been in a bear market. We've recovered a little bit in July, but this isn't new news. The yield curve could be signaling, however, an earnings recession. This is almost always true. Whenever the yield curve gets this inverted, we tend to see earnings begin to fall. Analysts continue to see earnings growth in the quarters ahead. Very unusual. So I think an earnings recession signaled here by the yield curve could make market PEs look higher than they appear to be right now. You know, Jeff, I don't know if you have kids and if you do, how old they might be. But if you did have kids, you might remember the days when you're driving and it's, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we, remember that? My guess is now with all the affection you have for all of your clients out there, that you're kind of getting that treatment. Is it a bottom? Is it a bottom? Is the bottom in? Are you getting that at all? A thousand we times are getting a day. A, a thousand times a day, pretty close, <laughs> times a hundred. You know, I, I think we can't really count on any kind of bottoming process until inflation begins to show signs of peaking. This Fed is not going to stop hiking rates because they anticipate inflation to decline. They're going to need to see it decline and react to it in hindsight. We've seen, I think, the peak in commodity prices, right? That happened a couple of months ago. But inflation is a process. Not all prices peak at the same time. So that's usually followed by goods inflation. We may be there now with the excess inventory at manufacturers and retailers. They might begin to discount today. But looking out to services prices, services make up almost 60% of the CPI. They usually don't peak for two to four months after the peak in goods prices. So we might be looking mm. out to late this fall, early winter, before we can actually point to a peak in inflation when the Fed can begin to slow its pace of interest rate hikes or maybe even pause them. That's the key signal, I think, for the stock market to stop going down. Could still be a little ways away. That's why I think looking at high dividend paying stocks might be the solution. Yeah, the, the dividend payers, the high-quality stocks. And let's remind our audience that equities tend to go up, what, about 75 or 77% of the time. There's a reason people get rich in the stock markets because it works, and you got to buy when it's the most scary, correct? Long-term. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think a long-term focus is very important here, and, and the depth of this potential recession, even in earnings, may be fairly mild. I think investors looking to protect from a return to a recessionary market environment just temporarily here uh, may mm -hmm. want to focus on high dividend paying stocks. In every recessionary bear market, 
of the last 50 years, high dividend paying stocks have outperformed the overall market. The S&P 500 high dividend index is actually positive this year. Uh, we know we know the overall index, the S&P 500 is down double digits. That's also true in Europe. It's also true in Japan. Yeah. So we're definitely seeing a preference for high dividends here. They can offer some protection in an environment where earnings could be headed lower. With inflation, it costs to wait. With high dividend stocks, you get paid to wait. Jeff Kleintop, love having you on the program, Jeff. Great stuff, as always, a unique take. Have a great day, Jeff. Appreciate that. All right, folks, appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in or listening to the podcast. Maybe it's 4 p.m. where you are and you're listening. We appreciate it all. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow with our weekly insider buying segment. By the way, it's back. Squawk is next. Thank you. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.